Welcome to Limited Time Only, the podcast for anyone who feels there aren't enough hours in their life. Limited Time Only is a mix of chat, comedy sketches and interviews with interesting people. We hope that we will make you smile, laugh and feel a bit brighter about the whole life, death and everything in between malarkey. Essentially, we're dissecting the human condition, just using a rubber chicken rather than a scalpel. I'm Esther and I'm Susie and And this this is Limited Limited Time Time Only. Only. This week it's time for ripping it up and starting again. Hello, Esther. Hello, Susan. Now, um, <laughs> very formal. I feel today. like a naughty child. Hello, Susan. You're not Susan. You're Susie. I know. To me, uh, only when I've been naughty. Um, yes. So today we are talking about ripping it up and starting again, with reference to lives, careers, fashion sense, whatever, <laughs> whatever needs an overhaul. To completely change your life or change direction in life is quite a major thing, isn't it really? It's scary, isn't it, like you say, to change your life. And for a lot of people, when you become comfortable, then it's hard to change. Because if you really want to change your job, but your job is comfortable and you've got a nice income, then it's hard to step away from that and go and do something else. Even if you've wanted to do that something else for the whole of your life, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's and it's just it's just scary, isn't it, to to trust yourself and to be brave and put yourself out there and 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 make a big change. What what points in your life, Suze, do you feel like you've sort of leapt off the cliff and done and been quite brave or 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 have sometimes the the things that you've gone to do not worked out and you've sort of regretted mostly it mostly every day to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um well, I was thinking about this and I thought, oh, no, I haven't really done, I haven't ever really done that. And then I realised I probably have. Firstly, when I went to drama school really late on, I went when I was 29. And by that point, I mean, I felt ancient at the time, but now it feels like I was just a young sniff of a thing. Slip of a thing, not sniff of a thing. Um, uh, Yeah, and I was, I was already working and, you know, I was enjoying my work and I was, I was acting. Um, but I'd always had this desire that I wanted to go to drama school and kind of had had auditions years before and not not followed through on them because I was working um, and I had some recalls to place I didn't go. I, I wasn't really sure early, earlier on that I'd wanted to go and I was enjoying working. I was like, oh, I don't need to go, it's fine. But I just always felt like uh, all the time I I was missing, I'd missed something and I wanted to go mainly because I wanted to do stage combat. Um <laughs> I mean, truth, went... truthfully, genuinely, truthfully, I went to drama just, school for stage combat. You know, you can do that in like a week course. It was worth it. Well, I did. Okay. I did drama school for a year and then I did two week long courses. I mean, I'd go again now, except I'm too old and I would ache for about 10 years afterwards. Um, yeah, so I went. So I did. I went to drama school at 29 for a year and and I had to um, rent out my house and I had to move to a different city. Um and it was it was great and it was it was definitely worth doing and it did it did change my life i think um so that was in what way well i think i, I um i became more confident about what i was doing um i suppose it was some kind of vindication in a way that somebody else thought i was all right <laughs> yeah um i don't know and and also i think i felt a bit more part of the industry because i knew more people um, you know, and um, and met more people who were directors and that that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it just gave me more of a base, I think. 
for for going for continuing my career. I mean, it, not it's not for everybody, and there's plenty of actors who don't train. And I only did a year, um, but I really enjoyed it. Mainly the stage combat, um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you want to do stage combat so much? It's just fun, isn't it? I think ever since watching The Princess Bride, I've just wanted to have a sword fight. Oh, really? Yeah. So I did. Uh... Lots of sword fighting, which was great. Yeah, really fun. And I think the second time I did um, I did it was when I moved from Birmingham to London. And that was uh, 12, 12, 13 years ago. Um, yeah. That was quite major. Was it? Was it for your career that you moved? Yeah. I think I got really stuck and I think because it was after I'd been to drama school, I felt quite bored. Um, mm. I felt a bit trapped because mm. I didn't I didn't know where how I could progress. And the the, the acting scene in, and the theatre scene in Birmingham is great. And there's loads of people doing really great stuff. And there, and there was back then as well. And I loved it. And um, but um, yeah, I felt like I had to give myself a challenge really and see if I could find some different avenues and yeah it was definitely the right decision and I met my husband and I'm still here yeah 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 did it take you a while to adjust when you first moved there yeah I think well I I tried it I had tried it before and I didn't like it but I think that's because I was working I kept working up in the Midlands so I'd sort of be living in London and then only going back at weekends because I'd be working in Birmingham or or Derby um so when I did it the second time, I really went for it and I made sure I got a job down there. And mind you, I, I moved. I think I moved and then within a month, I got a job in Bristol. <laughs> and then I got a job straight after that in Oxford. So actually, <laughs> but my base was was London. And then, you know, I certainly wouldn't mind living somewhere else. Um, mm. But at that point, it was it was also quite an exciting move, you know, just generally. Yeah. Um, just turned 30 and kind of wanted to wanted to change wanted to challenge the only other time the only other thing I can think of would be that idea of being brave and making a change that's that's really scary is when it's like a it's a relationship that's bad Mm. Um, sometimes you feel like it's better to stay in it than leave and it doesn't have to be like a you know sexual relationship for me it was a sort of working relationship and this was quite recently. And I I knew I'd known for over a year that it wasn't working and that it was making me feel bad. Like it was it was it was detrimental to my emotional and mental well being. But I couldn't but I was scared to step away, not because of what the other person was gonna say, um, or do, but because um I felt like I was in a kind of it was almost like a safe partnership. And yeah. if I left, I'd be sort of out on my own and, oh, it's a terrifying, scary world. Um, it's a bit cryptic, this. So I've got to be quite careful, I say. <laughs> um, but, but the thing is, that comes back to what we were saying at the beginning of it's, it's, it's almost more comfortable and less scary to sometimes to stay where you are than it is to, to make that break. Mm. Um, but then you did make that break and now your life has instantly become better. I did feel instantly better. Um, and it was... It, it was then clear to me how much it had been affecting me negatively. And I wish I'd done it the year before. But, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. <laughs> it is. And, and also, I often look back and think, oh, I should have done this or I shouldn't yeah, have done that. Yeah. And then I have to think, I can't judge myself by what I know now. Yeah. I, you can only feel what you feel in the moment and things can be terrifying. Yes, because and... it's easy to say you're weak or, yes, it has worked out well. But I sort of felt like I was being 
a bit pathetic by not but uh, but I can see now that it just took me a time to build up the courage to do it yeah and um and also we're in the middle of a global pandemic and a lot of stressful stuff going yeah. on and it's 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 hard it is it's just yeah it's we can be quite mean to ourselves yeah. really can't we but you can only do what you can do in the moment yeah. and and then you made the right decision and what what about you and it worked yes it did um i i often think when i look back oh i've not been that brave and then actually when i really broke it down i think i'm getting braver as i get older um and i've i and i look back and think actually i've made some really big decisions and i as i'm getting older i find it um better and easier to trust my gut instinct yeah and there's a vo- always a voice and i remember reading uh the book untamed by glennon doyle and she talks about the knowing where you it, she couldn't make a decision couldn't make her mind about something so she locked herself in a cupboard <laughs> in the bottom of a wardrobe for a couple of hours and just really thought and just let thoughts come to her and there's always a voice there is for me anyway yeah that that knows what the answer is and I just need to listen to it and I need to trust it there's been a few quite a few things that I've done that I'm actually really proud of myself for but I think the catalyst that made me braver was when I turned 36 which was the age my mum was when she died and I hit 36 and I suddenly thought oh my god I'd have two months left what have I done with my life? What have I, what, all these things I keep saying I'm going to do, but I haven't done them yet. So when am I going to do them? So that year was a real catalyst for me. In fact, that very day, I said to my husband, what would I do if I'd only got six months left? And I sort of reeled off these things that I thought were sort of slightly wild. Yeah. And one of them was I'd get a little tiny tattoo. I don't have any great desire to have tattoos, but I was like, maybe I'd get a tattoo. So we went home and we, um, we googled this tattoo parlor that was really close to that had a really good reputation and they said we've got a cancellation in like 20 minutes um other other than that we're booked up for six months so I thought it's a sign so I went home so we sort of quickly drew up the four initials linked of me my husband and my kids well our kids they're not just my kids but you know they're kind of (laughs) (laughs) and uh, we went um down and I've got so I've got their initials all linked together on my back sort of just behind my bra strap sort of the the band yeah that goes around the back and uh no one ever needs to see it I just know it's there and it's sort of a moment of bravery and it's sort of and to remind me of that moment of bravery but then that year that whole year I did quite a lot of brave things I, I or things it's it was the impetus and it gave yeah it gave me the impetus to sort of to do stuff that I hadn't done so I I wrote two plays and they were on at the Birmingham Rep we went to um we went and traveled a lot I did that there were just loads of things I did wow. and I, it sort of gave me a real kick up the bum yeah and then in the last few years I I owned a drama school for 10 years which I set up when the kids were little and that was very daunting and that felt like leaping off a cliff and then uh 18 months ago I just handed it over and thought I'm done with this and that was quite yeah I remember it that. felt like it it was quite scary, but it was also quite empowering. Mm. I can do this. Let's do it. Um, and I, I wrote a play. And I, this is probably one of the bravest things I've done as well. I wrote a play. I booked, no, I booked the venues for a play. Got all my cast lined up and my director. And then five days before we started rehearsals, I started writing it. <laughs> I mean, so I, that's just monumental. It really it's is. a bit stupid, but I need a deadline, and if I don't have a deadline, it'll never get done. So I had to book the venues, and then and then it focuses me, and it was terrifying, but I did it, and it went down really well, and it's led on to other things, and obviously, and then it led to me sort of 
handing my drama school over to two other people who could then run it and so I actually as I'm getting older I'm sort of feeling stronger and trusting my gut and just thinking just and I think because my mum died when I was young there was a lot of people died in my childhood in quick succession Mm. big people in my lives in my life uh young and old um accidents or whatever and they were all went very quickly in a in sort of over a six to seven year period and so I think that I've always got that sort of sense of time's running out come on we've got to do this stuff so it's not always that healthy I don't think because I, I sometimes struggle to relax <laughs> yes. but because <laughs> I've just constantly got in the back of my head come on come on come on and actually sometimes that can be quite paralyzing because it can cloud what you're trying to do yeah I think it can be pa- slightly panicky well yeah, this is why we, yeah. set the, why we started the podcast isn't it this idea of limited yeah. limited time only and actually yeah, the, yeah. just you saying about deadline the, the, yeah. I think I'm exactly the same. I need a deadline. But I was just like, it's such an, it's one of those words that we use a lot, but it obviously comes from something. And I've just looked it up, the historical meaning of it. Oh, deadline. I've never thought no, of it. No, it, it was a line drawn around a prison beyond which prisoners were liable to be shot, apparently. Oh, wow. So, because it's quite, you know, deadline. Yeah, deadline. I've never, never even thought about it yeah. properly. It, yeah, it's, it's, that, it's a kind of finality, isn't it? Yeah. We've got to get this done now. Um, and I suppose that, in a way, that's kind of like life, isn't it? It's like, we've got a yeah. deadline. <laughs> yeah. We- <laughs> there is going to be one, guys. Just telling you now. <laughs> and most of us don't know when that is. So it could be tomorrow, or it could be in 40 years, or it could be in 50 years, or it could be in three weeks. And so I have these things that I want to do and achieve. And um, I have to set myself deadlines to get stuff done. Because also I turn into a procrastinator mm, otherwise. Yeah. And um, procrastination is basically fear. So yes. if I if I set a deadline, it almost takes the fear out of it because it focuses me. I can have a million and one thoughts, but as soon as you say this has to be done by tomorrow, I'll get it done by tomorrow, even if I have to pull an all-nighter. Yeah, because I think we have so many things that we want to do. The things that we need to do always take priority, don't they? So yeah. the washing, yeah. the... Uh, cooking I mean obviously you have to keep children alive and stuff but I do I'll do washing <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of kind of important <laughs> I keep them alive and stuff uh, uh you know <laughs> all the other stuff um yeah like washing tidying I will tidy a room to within an inch of its life rather than do something that might progress my career because yeah. <laughs> because it's too scary because I I think a lot of the time we're, we're afraid of failure we're yeah. afraid of being rejected. Um, we're afraid that, yeah, it's just going to be a little bit shit. <laughs> and also, um, fear of success. Somebody was talking to me oh. about that, which is something that's really interesting. And there is a good quote that says, oh, th- this is good, but this isn't quite right. Procrastination is the fear of success. People procrastinate because they are afraid of the success that they know will result if they move ahead now because success is heavy carries a responsibility with it it is much easier to procrastinate and live on the someday isle <gasps> philosophy that's so good that's it is good i i have never thought about procrastination being a fear of success because to yeah. me it's always like it's a fear of failure but that's yeah. really interesting because how that will change your life and um it's, it's an, an interesting take on it isn't yes. it yes this is the one that somebody had said to me Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Ooh. 
I love a good podcast. And when I find one I really like, I tell everyone I know about it. I grab my phone and I share the podcast with everyone in my address book. And then I post about the podcast on social media. Then I rate and review the podcast. And then I have a warm feeling inside for the rest of the day. Just saying. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Limited Time Only. I know I am. Now, where's my phone? Do you think that sometimes we want to change things actually unnecessarily because we're, we've got FOMO? It's like things like um, sometimes I want to drastically change my house or um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a... <sighs> because you've seen because, like nice pictures on Instagram yeah. or somebody else's nice house. Yeah, that kind or of I want to live somewhere else because it's obviously better. But yeah, actually, yeah. it's just because, you know, we only ever see the really great stuff. And and actually, if wherever you go, <laughs> there's a there's a guy called John Kabat-Zinn, who's a very famous um, mindfulness tutor, kind of the, the father of mindfulness in the, in the Western world. And um, he has a book called, which I've read from cover to cover, Wherever I Go, There I Am. And uh, and I'm like, yes, John, yes. I am there wherever I am to irritate the heck out of myself. Um, <laughs> so it doesn't really matter if I moved somewhere entirely different uh, and thought I'd get an entirely brand new life. Um, I'd still be there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I know exactly what you mean. And yes, I, I do. And I think we're sold so much, aren't we? I mean, I, I Instagram is probably the only social media I use. Um, I just because I like the pictures. I'm quite visual, I think. And <laughs> you um, like the pictures. I, I like the pictures. <laughs> uh, I found them quite inspiring. Um, I, I find Twitter. I go on Twitter and I just get a bit. Um, I get I get very passionate about stuff. So I find pictures more soothing. Um, so um, the perfect lives and, that are on there. But it's it is it's all beautiful pictures and so and so is doing this and it's and it's a basic and and I would never go on and put something that I'm not happy about. I'm never going to just go and show you my part of washing up or whatever it's always those moments that you want to record and think oh that was brilliant or I was hanging out with my friends yeah, or I yeah. was and um but it does give you that feeling of oh look what they're achieving I'm not achieving that so it makes does make you feel inadequate that you, definitely. That you need to rip your also, life up <laughs> yeah and then also uh we're bombarded by advertising constantly aren't yeah. we you need your house to look like this you need to buy this you need to be holidaying here you need to be this weight you need to be and and if you aren't hitting these markers then you're failing so um i think sometimes i can let a, and i'm sure most of us can let a lot of that noise in instead of just cracking on with what i want to be doing yeah i can sort of and my own voice can get drowned out by the shoulds and the oughts and the musts that i'm being told that i need to be doing and achieving and i think it can definitely make you question your own life yeah. and um you can go off down a bit of a oh everything's a bit crap and then you sort of have to step back and and, the, and then go why is it crap it's crap because i'm not doing anything because i'm looking at yeah. bloody twitter all the time yes yes yeah it's yeah, so yeah. annoying I, I, social media is kind of like a, a um a progress stunter it kind of yeah I, i'm oh I'll, right I'll, I'll write something down i'll do something creative or i'll even i'll i'll go into the garden do some gardening oh hang on i'll have a look at twitter do yeah. 25 minutes later oh i haven't got time for any of that stuff now and also i feel yeah. terrible about myself and also, it makes my brain very noisy. So when we when we did our social media abstinence last year, I 
was felt like a different person yeah. by the end of the week. But then I really do like quite, quite like it. And there are positives <laughs> you like the about pictures. it. You like the pictures? I like the pictures. I really like the pictures. I like the pretty pictures and think people look fabulous and beautiful. We ended up this programme with a you-bash. A book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway has been sweeping the nation since 1987. My version of this now famous slogan is Drink three bottles of wine and do it anyway. I think I'll write a best-selling book about it when I've recovered from this hangover. Goodbye. If you could have an entirely different life, though, what would it look like? Well, I think... I, well, I mean, obviously, I'd love to be super wealthy, (laughs) (laughs) living on a yacht uh, with multiple houses in glamorous locations, turning up on the film set. Mind you, that's acting, isn't it? Forget that. Um, But yeah, I mean, it would be amazing to live the life of someone super rich for a week and just experience that luxury, which you can only dream about. Take a little trip to space. Oh, and just take a little trip to space. I don't know. I don't want to go to space. I'm not interested in space. Thank you very much. I wouldn't mind seeing the Earth from that perspective. From that, yes. I'd love to have that view once, but um, we can skip the getting there and getting back bit. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I don't. I don't blast into space. Thank you very much. I'd like to blast a few people into space. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) And and but no, no no desire to go. But I would like to definitely have that feeling of looking down at earth that would be incredible it would give you a very much a different perspective wouldn't it yes sometimes i get tried to get that sense that you are this tiny little ant on the face of the planet that's why when i'm by the sea i feel i can feel that yeah which then actually instead of making me feel small makes me feel bigger because i feel like well we're all just people so we can all achieve what we put our minds the pressure off it does yeah Absolutely. Yeah, because it's not, we are not alone. There's absolutely billions of us. <laughs> absolutely terrifying. Oh, I think, I think if I if I could have another life that was like a, actually achievable, it would be to be outside pretty much all yes. the time. I'd probably want to be a gardener of some kind and retrain to garden. I would really quite like to, in another life, I'd quite like to be a landscape gardener like a designer mm. garden designer and be outside and sort of yeah and touching the soil and dirty hands and getting dirty yeah, yeah. getting down dirty getting down <laughs> dirty with your tulips <laughs> hello there this is look listen learn something why don't you with me graham prendergast today i'm at a nondescript comprehensive school in surrey to talk to the little blighters about their career prospects you there Small boy, what do you want to be when you finally grow up? I'd like to be an engineer, mister. Very good. And you, Pipsqueak, what do you think you'll be capable of? I'd like to be a fireman. Quite. And you, young lady, what do you think your husband will do for a living? Well, Mr Prendergast, I'm not intending to marry until I'm at least 27. I'm going to have a portfolio career, encompassing my many interests and ambitions, not all of which will be handsomely remunerated, but I will feel fulfilled and able to contribute to my community in a positive manner. Good grief. I think we've got a communist here. I'd better notify the headmaster. Next time on Look, Listen, Learn Something, Why Don't You? We investigate the rise of the microwave oven and how it can make women's lives easier, leaving them more time to do the laundry. Goodbye. Oh, Esther.
Alistair, I haven't got any ideas for this week's show. I feel completely uninspired. Mm, sure. Esther, what are you stuffing into your mouth? A bit of Lady Macbeth for inspiration. You're eating the works of Shakespeare? No, I'm eating a delicious bar of Lady Macbeth dark orange chocolate from Sweet Theatre. I've just finished off Alice in Wonderland. Even the artwork on the packaging is beautiful. Mm, is it helping? Indeed it is. Here, have a little nibble on Oscar Wilde. Mm. That one's gin and tonic flavour. Yum. Have you got any more? Um, um... Esther, have you eaten all the Sweet Theatre chocolate? Should I exit stage left? Yeah, I think you should. Sweet Theatre. Chocolates with drama. Available online at sweettheatre.com and in participating theatres. If Esther hasn't eaten it all... Now this, Esther, is a little bit different. Okay! It's a little bit of a different quiz this week. Hopefully it'll work. I have absolutely no idea. But as this is a podcast and it's audio, I thought I could try this. Okay. Okay. So this quiz is called... Ripping it up. Appropriately. But it's not what you think. Okay. I've gone literal. I've gone rip as in literal. (laughs) I am going to rip a series of items and you have to tell me what it is. Okay. You mad bird. I know, I know. Absolutely ridiculous. Or what material it is. Okay. Okay. Um, right. <laughs> I know. Okay. I know. This might not work, but listeners, okay. we're going to give it a go. All right. So, so we're going to start off. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> okay. Number one in the ripping it up quiz is this. <laughs> Could you hear that? Yes, but my God, this is like very surreal. Uh, I think, I, the thing is, I was going to say, can you can you rip it again? Yeah. But I don't think you can. I can. Okay, go. Okay, go on. It's quite thick. It's not just paper. It's like a thick paper. Well, it's, it is, it's just normal paper. <laughs> In fact, it was my marriage certificate. <laughs> no. <laughs> Only kidding. It's been a tough weekend. So, so that, if you get, I'll do it again so you get a sense of perspective. Okay. So this is pe- normal paper. It's quite loud, right. isn't it? Quite it loud. It is quite loud. Okay, so that's normal Sounds paper. thick. Yeah. Okay. Okay, should we do some, another one? Yes, I've got, I've got the level now. I've got okay. the levels now. Okay, here's another one. <laughs> Can you do it again? Right, there's little little clues, additional noises. Is it is it a like um that plastic stuff that you rip and pops? Yeah, what what's that called? Oh god, I don't know. I drank the, at the weekend. I've got no brain cells. There. Little, little um circles on it? Yes. I I can see it, but I can't but just but bu- bu- bubble. Bubble wrap. Oh yes. bless. Thank you for walking me through that because that's quite <laughs> Bubble wrap. So that was bubble wrap. Okay. Okay. Um, here's another one. Okay. Okay. So there's a little bit before it rips. Okay. Oh, sellotape. Yes. Woo-hoo! <laughs> it's working. Do you know? Okay. I don't know why, but whenever you do this, I'm leaning really close into the mic, and it's not coming out the mic. I just need to squeeze my earphones. I think this section's going to be really good for those people who like to listen to... What's it called? What ASMR. It? ASMR. This is like oh, an yeah. ASMR section. I'm going to start scratching the microphone in a bit. <laughs> Do you know, we could, we could get some interesting people, though, who will be asking for foot photos next if we... <laughs> if 
if we play our cards right. If we play our cards okay. right, make a fortune selling foot photos. Okay, next one. <laughs> right. And again. It's quite faint. Is it? In the words of Brittany, can you hit me, baby, one more time? Here we go. Ooh, I don't know. Uh, maybe a cardboard box? Well done. Yes! It was oh. cardboard. Well done. Okay. Yes. Right, we've got another one here. I don't know how many we've done. We've done four. We've done four. Right, here's another one. Uh, this one's quite good, I think. <laughs> right, you ready? <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, is it uh, cotton? It is. <gasps> it's material. Oh. It's actually got ducks on it. Oh. It's got m- mummy at as and daddy at as, as my little boy used to call them. And now you're ripping it up for the show. And now I've just, I've just wrecked it. Destroyed it. All, all in the name of art. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's another one. Sounds like you're eating some crisps. Yes! Uh, it was crisps I ripped a crisp packet oh my god I'm some kind of genius some kind of genius okay Uh, right I'm not that this will get me anywhere in life recognising what's being ripped (laughs) right clue bumhole yes (laughs) I know I was going to go there but didn't you did though okay are you ready this is a clue yes I think I need to hear it again. Something quite sort of specific. Okay, so is it like corrugated cardboard? No, it's not that thick. But listen to this. Is it a book? Almost magazine. Yes, and look, I'm ripping (gasps) a page out. Is it Joel's? Uh, Yeah, it's Joel's. I've ruined it. I'm going to eat it now. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) right. Uh, I'm going to give you two more. Okay. Yep. Smells nice it too. It sounds like it's being ripped. It just sounds like something moving around. <laughs> well, that was a Galaxy chocolate bar wrapper. Ah, oh, okay. Unfortunately, empty. Oh, because have you already eaten it? Or... I've already stuffed it in my face. Yeah, don't blame me. This is the last one, okay? Okay, okay. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> Could you hear that? Sort of. Oh, That's it's so. so... Right. Did you hear that? Yes, but it's very faint. Uh... And another clue. Mm. Uh, are you just eating stuff? <laughs> I mean, are you eating cornflakes? It's not cornflakes. It's more healthy than rice krispies. No. Uh, muesli. No, it's um. It's a vegetable. Carrots that you might rip. You might rip or tear broccoli. Uh, peas. Beans. Why have you te- torn peas? Oh, proper peas. Uh, pea pods. pods. No. Proper peas. No. Pea pods. Um, Beans. No, it is uh, green. And it's quite thick. And it's quite... Celery. No, nearly. You have it in, um, in, in a nice salad. It's quite crunchy. It, so. uh, Has the word ice in the title? Iceberg lettuce. Yeah. Basically, you're just feasting, aren't you? I've got, you're ripping up your husband's stuff and you're feasting. I've got uh, some a whole half an iceberg lettuce. 
a galaxy, galaxy chocolate, chocolate bar and a packet of skips. I'm absolutely sorted. <laughs> and you're just ripping up things in the house that you don't want anymore. I bet you didn't keep track of that, did you? So I'm going to say on the inaugural round of ripping it up that I scored 100%. I think that's what happened. And I gained 100% in weight. <laughs> well done, Esther. Just having some skips. Um, yeah, I'm going to say you scored. You scored very highly there. Yeah, um, me too. I'm going to say, and I think you did very well out of it as well. I think it was you know, a tricky, tricky game. Living your best life. Right. right. Well done. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Bab. <laughs> to chat to you both i'm very <laughs> nervous i've got to say oh. oh don't oh don't be nervous you know we're not we're not jeremy paxman let's put it like that <laughs> you're a lot more attractive than jeremy paxman as well <laughs> thank so, you yeah. that's what we've put on our advertising yeah. a lot more attractive than jeremy paxman <laughs> <laughs> this week's guest is the incredibly inspiring kelly brown in 2017 kelly head of performing arts at the time and her husband chef nigel brown decided to do the thing that most of us talk about but never actually do, sell up and move to Cornwall and open their own restaurant. We talked to Kelly about the challenges of relocating your family, how they managed to keep their new business going as COVID hit, about her love at being at the heart of the community and how they took Edie's Kitchen from brand new restaurant to TripAdvisor's top restaurant in Cornwall in such a short amount of time. I, Esther, have eaten there and I can confirm that it was without doubt the best meal I have ever had in my life. And if you don't believe me, then Dawn French also cited it as her favourite restaurant on Jessie Ware's Table Manners podcast. So there. (laughs) So, without further ado, welcome to the show, Kelly Brown. What you do now, which we'll talk about, obviously, is kind of everyone's dream. It's like you are literally living the dream. You're you're by the sea. You've got your own business and your own restaurant, which, I mean, that's the pinnacle of living the dream, isn't it? A, a restaurant by the sea. It's just, you've well, done it. <laughs> I know. It's all a bit bonkers, really. I can't quite believe that we do have this little restaurant and we live by the sea and it is gorgeous. And so, yeah, I don't know about living the dream, but I'm definitely doing something. You're probably working quite hard at the same time as living the dream. Yeah. Now, you see, if you say to anybody that owns a restaurant, you're living the dream, (laughs) when we are absolutely exhausted, we've bags down by our chins and, you know, like literally crawling to every sort of holiday that we can get. But it is it is lovely. Was it always something that you and your husband wanted to do? Well, do you know what? I mean, we met in restaurants. That, so that's how sort of like, you know, we, we both worked for Raymond Blanc. Nigel was this um, lowly commie chef. I was a waitress. <laughs> and I, I don't know, we, we sort of like clicked over the hot plate, which is always, uh, you know, really glamorous and romantic. And, you know, and sort of um, he looked exhausted and uh, I fancied him because he, he looks so tired. And uh, yeah, we just, I think it was always something that from really, really early on when we first met that we would end up probably owning our own place somewhere but we had we had a long sort of stretch between before we did which we will discuss we we thought we'd start well hello kelly brown first of all 
thank you very much for giving us your time because I know you are very busy <laughs> running a oh restaurant. God, no, don't. Um, but we we thought it would be nice for you to tell us about Edie's Kitchen and um, what it is, where it is, what you do, um, and then we can kind of work backwards as to how you got there. And um, so it is. Um, we we called Edie's Kitchen because it's named after our daughter Edie, who is now eighteen, um, and the kitchen part is because it's, it's an open kitchen. So the whole restaurant, anyone who dines in our restaurant can see the chef's cooking, it's, okay. all, it's all open. Um, people do think we called Eddie's Kitchen, which sounds more like a truck stop than you know, <laughs> a nice little bistro. Um, and we do have to explain that it's Edie's all the time. It's in a little place called Carline Bay in St. Austell. And it's about five minutes from the most beautiful beach just down the road. And yeah, it is lovely. Although people do often ask for a beach view. And we do only have a car park directly outside the <laughs> Could you paint a but picture? They, yeah, you know, it's, it's very lovely. They can at least look at their own car. So that's always quite a, you know, a balance. Yeah, but. yeah. Was it, what was the pull? To, did you particularly want to go to that area of Cornwall? No, not at all, actually. At Nigel East Cornish, she's from um, Boscastle, which is about 40 minutes from here. And yeah. we kind of, you know, we, we spent actually about, I'd say two years looking for the right restaurant and um and then this we found this one just sort of you know because you, you look on, on in the papers and you you know you have agents calling you up all the time telling you which restaurants uh, are up for sale and we saw this one and actually it's in a really bizarre 1970s row of shops and from the outside it doesn't look great I've got to say um and people are often a little bit like oh I'm not quite sure I really want to go in. And then once they come in, there's, you know, it's a lot nicer inside than It outside. looks lovely from that. I've seen, I know Esther's been. Um, I have been. But yep. I've seen the and pictures and thought, oh, I want to go. <laughs> it's, can I, can, I just want to say, and I went two years ago with my family and it was the best meal I've ever eaten in my life. It really was. Oh, it oh was my goodness. delicious. And then I, I was telling people, oh, go to Edie's and it's absolutely delicious. It's the best meal I've ever had. And then I thought, am I just being biased? Because we we knew Kelly when we were younger. And um, and then I was listening to another podcast, Jessie Ware's podcast, and Dawn French was on. And they said, mm-hmm. where's your favourite place to eat? And she said, the best place I ever eat is Edie's Kitchen. It's the best food you'll ever have. <gasps> and so if me and Dawn French think it, Dawn's got Well, that's back. it. Dawn's I mean, that is up. me literally living the dream now. Well, yeah. that is. I can't, you know. <laughs> I've been looking at TripAdvisor and, uh, and you've got five stars. I mean, that is really, I've not seen anywhere, I don't think, that's got five stars completely from 584 reviews. Traveller's Choice 2021. It's incredible. I had the best meal there and my family did. And, and I, can't, I can't wait to go back at some point because it was the most delicious food I've ever had. And, Esther, um, you and need like to come in the evening because you, you guys came at lunch and yeah. we're very different. So our style is um, lunchtimes, it's sort of like brunch and lunchy and a little bit, you know, calmer. And then in the evenings, we put candles out, we change the music, we change yeah. the menu. It's a completely different concept in the evening. So we like cafe style by day and then bistro in the evening. So people wow. always talk about how different it is when you have lunch and then when you have dinner, yeah. which oh, I quite yeah. like as well. So Yeah, de- well, next time I come, I'll definitely come in the evening. But the lunch... Yeah was incredible and I'm not just saying that to to blow smoke up your beer it's no you keep, was keep blowing the, I'm good. the best meal I was raving about it for ages and what's, <laughs> what's your so thing to eat on the 
on the menu, Kelly, would you say? I mean, it's probably quite difficult to choose. We change our menu every four to five weeks. So it's a rapid change. That's great. Nigel gets bored very, very quickly. And he often says that, you know, if he doesn't love making it, then love doesn't go into the food and then people won't love to eat it. I learn one menu and then we change it. And then it's always quite difficult to remember what's on menus. But the one staple that we have got is a double baked souffle. And it's kind of become a little bit of a, a you know, a thing for Edie's Kitchen. We, we took it off the menu once. And I kid you not, we had three emails straight away of complaints. Why, wow. is, why have you taken the souffle off the menu? Oh and you're like, <laughs> was one what? from Dawn French. <laughs> Well, yeah, Dawn did give us an older. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's the souffle is one, but we, we always have um, vegetarian meat and fish. We're not so great with vegans, but we do try really hard. So if mm. a vegan does want to come and eat, we'll actually tailor it to what they prefer to eat. So, you know, it's, it's a constant sort of change. And um, I think we're pretty good with desserts as well. At the moment, we're doing a lot of uh, souffle desserts. So we've got a blackberry souffle, which is, oh, I try and eat as many as I can for breakfast. It fuels me for the day, you know. Oh, amazing. And what, oh what's God, food so like good. at home? I mean, oh do, God, does Nigel, does it, can he be bothered by that point? <laughs> well, Nigel does roll his eyes and cook at home. Um, and he'll have a bit of a practice, you know, like he, he he's constantly practicing. But to be fair, I'm the main cook at home mm-hmm. and um, I'm not the best. You know, I try to spice up baked beans. Spaghetti bolognese comes out a lot in our house. Yeah. And I'm really good with Charlie Bingham as well. I can whack that in an oven. And, um, skill. Skill. It takes a lot of skill, that does. Um, yeah, no, I'm much better at serving it, eating it. That, that's what I'm good at. I'm certainly not good at cooking. But, you know, Nigel's really sort of, he's not home that often because, mm. you know, he's at, he's at the restaurant. I have to look after the girls, so... I, I've got a great team. Um, I am here. I do work. Yeah. But I also am a mum. Well, well, yes, that's work. Yeah. So, and how does that, are you open every day or do you, does, you know, do you get a day no, off? No, we do have a day off. Um, we have Sundays and Mondays off and then we open at six o'clock on a Tuesday. So we have two and a half days. That's really good. Yeah. Well, when we, when we opened the restaurant, one of the main things that we wanted, that it was a family run restaurant, but for the people that work for us, it wasn't, you know, relentless. I, I say to the staff a lot, if you don't enjoy working here, then you've got to go because that, that second that you, you don't enjoy going into work, yeah. you shouldn't do it. And something that people comment on all the time in Edie's is that the staff always seem happy, which is joyful yeah. for me. That mm-hmm. makes me feel, you know, when I read in a, in a review or we have an email from someone saying, you know, how lovely your staff are, that for me is, is wonderful. And the second that they're not lovely, then you know they don't want to be at work do they and that's mm. that awful feeling do your staff tend to stay quite a while then yeah, yeah. we're really lucky really really lucky you know i, I mean obviously we're, we're hospitality and we do have people that come and go and you yeah. know some people they struggle to work for such a small restaurant because it's it, there's only there's a never more than nine people that work for us so it, it's quite intense in the, yeah. in the fact that it's it's very sort of family orientated and some people struggle with that yeah, because there's nowhere to hide, I suppose. <laughs> no, no, exactly. You don't like no someone, you can't really escape them. Yeah, and also you have to have Sundays and Mondays off, so you never get that sort of, you know, you can have so-and-so off or can I have Thursday? Well, no, actually, that those right. are your days off, so that's always quite difficult. But yeah. we generally tend to, uh, our staff 
have worked for us pretty much since the beginning, which wow. is quite lovely. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because you said initially that Nigel had said about the food, I'm not going to keep making it if I don't love it. So that's mm. why there's a quick turnover. And the fact that you then say that to your staff as well, the whole thing is just pure love in the food, in the staff, yeah. the family working together. Yeah, oh, like absolutely. One big family. And- And what I love as well about Edie's is obviously in peak times, there's lots of tourists here who are our bread and butter and it's Mm. absolutely amazing. But we're now getting tourists that come back yearly who we get to know, uh, which which I which I really love as well. But then once the tourists have gone like now on a Saturday night, it's all our locals Mm. and they know each other. And it's and it's quite Mediterranean in the sense that you've got lots of kids, you've got grandparents, parents. And they all know each other and they're chatting to each other. And the, the buzz in the restaurant is absolutely gorgeous. I love it. Aww. It's a community, isn't it? You're building a community. Yeah. Well, that's why originally we, we got this place. Because when we saw it, and it is in this funny little row of shops, and it does look hard from the outside. But actually, after researching, St. Austell is very community-based. It's very suburban around us as well, which means that we don't have to close. A lot of restaurants in Cornwall, they can only open for eight months of the year. And then you've got to, it's really, really difficult to make your money for the rest of the year. So you've got mm. to make it in that eight months and that's it. We're not like that at all. We stay open the whole year. We don't need to close. Mm-hmm. So even in January, on a wet, windy Wednesday night, our restaurant may not be heaving, but we'll still have locals in here that keep us going, yeah. which is lovely. Yeah. And how long have you been open for, Kelly? So we opened in November 2017, at the very, very end of November. So we opened for Christmas, which is bonkers. I mean, who does that? <laughs> I do remember the opening the doors and, and waiting, you know, for the, the throng of people to, to storm in and go, what? And actually, we didn't at all. It was a, we, were, we were a real slow burner. Yeah, it was mortifying. And there were many nights where I, I lay in bed thinking, we have really made a mistake. We oh, should God. not have done this. You know, yeah. like people aren't coming to us. And, and then the best thing about community is it's word of mouth. Mm. We'd have two tables one night and then a week later we'd have four tables. Then it was six tables. And then suddenly, you know, People were saying, well, there's this little bistro called Edie's, you need to go. And, and then, you know, you talk about TripAdvisor. TripAdvisor can be your best friend mm. or your worst enemy. Yeah. Um, touch every bit of wood because so far it's our best friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how were you affected by the lockdowns? Because, oh, yes. I mean, oh. about growing a business and then suddenly you can't open. Do you know? How did that affect you? I mean, I, I get quite <laughs> emotional about the whole lockdown thing mm. because we just started to get our reputation. We were starting to be busy. And I, I remember just before COVID saying tonight, gosh, this is it. We, you know, we're really on the map now because we plowed everything into this restaurant. We sold our house up in the Midlands. Everything we owned went into this. And then so for that to happen and the thought of losing it, it was hell. It really was, you know. And then so I said to Nigel, we're going to have to do takeaway. That's all we can do. And he locked us down on Mother's Day and we had 60 people booked for Mother's Day. And mm. I said to Nigel, right, I'm going to phone every single person who's booked in and I'm going to offer them takeaway. And he was like, absolutely no way. And I was like, we're doing it. You've got no choice. We're going to put that food into bags and we are going and I'll deliver it and, or do whatever I've got to do. And there wasn't a single person that cancelled. Every wow. single person. I know. It was very, very, very scary. Um, we hadn't got any takeaway pots. 
we we did we got I said to Nigel we're gonna like you know like plastic bags what are we gonna do I don't want to put it in a you know takeaway bags like that so we went to our local bookers and we literally bought up all the about all the boxes all the all paper bags everything and it was just I can't you know that day just went by in a blur but we managed to do it everything went out starters mains desserts in bags in their that's, cars and off they went. That's amazing. I mean, the quick thinking, that's incredible because I think it took other places months to get to that point and you did it in like a day. We did it in 24 hours. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. Well it was, done. It was, yeah, it was crazy. Um, and that carried and on, then, did it, the takeaway thing yeah, side of it? So we didn't stop at all. We then decided that we would do Friday night Edie's food so that it would be, you know, what we do, the double baked souffles, the cockavan, the chocolate delice, all of that. And then on Saturdays, we did our own version of takeaways. So we did kebabs, burgers, curries, all sorts of different things. And then we did a Sunday roast. And it was lovely because, you know, again, I keep going back to community, but that's what we are all about. You know, we had people that would eat every single week with us. And they would, uh, you know, we got this one family that were absolutely amazing. They'd have Friday night one week, Saturday night the next week and Sunday roast the following week. And just people really, really supported us. And it was it was the most emotional thing. And um, on average, on a Saturday night, we were doing like 100 takeaways. Wow. That's so brilliant that the community wanted to support you because they enjoy your food, but they don't want you to go. You know, it it? really was. It was beautiful, actually. And when I think about it again, when I chat to you guys about it, it it really was lovely and and the community came out in force. And then we chat as well because some people, you know, they lived on their own. The one thing that they looked forward to was having, uh, you know, the Friday night dinner from us. And then they come and collect it. And we had this little table outside and we'd put the bags on the table, but, you know, socially distancing and they'd be outside, not in the restaurant. And then we got to chat. And so then I had to hire some other people because I was talking too much to the locals. (laughs) It was lovely. But, you know, another thing for us, which was great, was it was the best PR for us because actually quite a lot of people had never even heard of us. And then we're putting it out, you know, and and again, word of mouth and social media is just incredible. And we were changing the menus every single week. So it was never the same takeaway. We had one. It was different every single week. And the PR was immense. And now we have people come here just because of lockdown and they had takeaways from us. It's so brilliant though that you changed that to your advantage, right? What can we do? And it sounds like you and Nigel are a really good team in that you are very good at communicating and building that community and chatting to your customers who have obviously a lot of them are becoming friends and that you thought, you're, you said, let's do this. We've got to turn it into a takeaway. And it's great. Mm. You sound like you're a really good team with very different skills. When we were younger and we worked together, in the in, when we worked for Raymond Blanc and then we moved to a company called Peach Pubs and uh, I, I always remember Lee who owned Peach Pubs and um, I mean we're going back sort of oh my gosh 20 odd you know over 20 years ago and uh, he did say when he opened his second pub I'm splitting you guys up so you know because we would argue over you know we we, we become quite heated and I did say to myself I'm never going to work with Nigel again I, I, <laughs> it just does not work and as we got older, I think, and, and then we, you know, to own our own restaurant, mm. our attitudes have changed. And yeah, we still have our moments. We're a very small, tiny restaurant and we have to go outside to have an argument because you don't want to do it in front of staff <laughs> and you don't want to do it in front of, certainly not in front of customers. Um, but we, I, I think in general, I, I 
don't think I could do it with anyone else. Yeah. Like it is only Nigel I could do it with because we're the relationship with your your partner is that you can have a go at each other, but it's, they're still your territory. So mm. it's not like you'll have an argument and then you hand your noticing because you've got to hand your noticing to yourself. So it doesn't work. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. It's honesty, isn't it? When you're arguing like that, you're being completely honest with somebody, which you can't, yeah. you can't actually really do with anybody else. I don't think fully. Well, this is it. I mean, like, I've worked with lots of head chefs and there's, I can't be brutally honest with them like I am with Nigel. Mm. You know, I can I can be brutal with Nigel in the sense <laughs> that I can say, I really hate that chocolate delice or, you know, that chocolate dessert that you're doing. It doesn't work. It doesn't. Because chefs are very sort of, um, you know, they love themselves a little bit. That you know, and yeah. they think they're super special. They do. They all do. And uh, But, yeah, I can I can say tonight that is, that's not good. Whereas you couldn't say that to someone else, you know. You, no. So we've yeah. got that great relationship in that sense. Uh, we, we should probably go back to the start because, actually, we have known you for 30 years. I mean, well, I yes, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. It can't possibly be that long, surely. Well. <laughs> yes, dog years. So it's absolutely... Oh, no, exactly. <laughs> I'm not saying we're all dogs but um uh, (laughs) but we've known you for since we were all children and we'd quite like to go right back because you've had a long journey to get to this point and career changes along the way and we're just Mm -hmm. really interested to learn how you got to that point from being you know the 13 year old teenager that we knew and now to owning this fantastic restaurant that everyone raves about so basically I, I never really wanted to be an actor I sort of fell into that you know like it was just sort of and I did love it and I, I've always loved theatre and I've always loved performing and so I went to um, after after you guys I went to college and I did my A-levels and then I went to a place called Dartington College of Arts and I studied um, theatre which was absolutely fabulous so I got my degree which yeah. was brilliant and then I did what pretty much you know, a lot of actors do or a lot of performers got a job in TGI Fridays yeah. in Birmingham. <laughs> and, and which is very, very much like performing, to be fair, because you have to sing Happy Birthday and you have to create a character and you have to be always on it, you know, to work in restaurants, to work in hospitality. I worked there for a while. I didn't really know what to do with life. So I went traveling, you know, came back and, and hospitality was always what propped me up. I was always able to make a living through hospitality. And then I decided to go and work for Le Petit Blanc. And that's where I met Nigel, is, was in Le Petit Blanc. So that's uh, Raymond Blanc's small brasseries. And then... What were you doing at Le Petit Blanc? So I started just off as a waitress at Le Petit Blanc and really, really enjoyed it. And I just sort of like the buzz of restaurants is absolutely amazing. I, when you're really busy and you're chatting to people and, you know, it's so social, it's, it, it's such a buzz to work in one. And I just really, really enjoyed it. And so I ended up becoming a manager for Raymond Blanc uh, in the Birmingham Brasserie. And then he asked us to go over to Manchester and help open up a new restaurant in Manchester. So Nigel and I, we'd only been together six weeks, seven weeks (laughs) and ended up living together in Manchester. Yeah, I was meant to go and live with a friend and then they backed out at the last minute. And so I was sort of homeless. And Nigel was like, you know, you can stay at my house for a short while if you want. (laughs) And it was meant to be a short while. And 26 years later, I, I, I just never moved out. So, um, yeah. And then, and then we opened up, um, we helped our friend Lee open up Peach Pubs, which is a, an incredibly successful um, uh, pub company up in, in the Midlands, um, in Warwickshire as well, and, and Leamington Spa. And, um, yeah, we opened up his very, very first pub called the Rose and Crown in Warwick. And he's now got 21 pubs. 
So, mm. you know, it, it was immense and we loved it. And then we moved to Australia. Wow. And we lived out in Australia and worked for some amazing chefs in Australia and just loved it and had kids, obviously, as well. We lived in Sydney and then we moved up to the Gold Coast and just had the most amazing time. And then we came home and Nigel, you know, obviously got a job and I just didn't want to work in restaurants anymore. It just became, it's tiring, it's exhausting, especially when you've got kids. So I became a teacher. So did you do a PGC? At that point. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, I did my graduate teachers program right. in, in an inner city school in Birmingham and I just started teaching drama and became a drama teacher. And then I became head of performing arts and wow. absolutely loved it. Aww. So, yeah, so I taught for like 10 years wow. and it, yeah, it was amazing. And then teaching is also a very, very hard career. You know, it's really, really difficult. It's utterly exhausting the politics of it sort of got to me the higher you get in a school the less teaching you do and suddenly I was just sat in an office and I was you know it was all data crunch oh you know and um Nigel said to me should we we open up a restaurant and I was like oh why not so just (laughs) brilliant let's just do it (laughs) okay and the thing is you know I'm loving it at the moment and just before lockdown I did actually think to myself Shall I go back and do like, you know, a little bit of supply teaching and we've got a great team at the restaurant. And But then, of course, lockdown happened. Mm. And so that all went by the way. But never say never. And if I could combine the two, if I could, you know, be a mum, still work at the restaurant and maybe do a little bit of supply teaching as well. Why not? Yeah. Then that would be like a really happy place for you, sort of ticking all your boxes ticking all my boxes I would love that actually I do teach a little bit occasionally um at a place called Funny Bones Theatre Company Uh, it's a great group of of kids um in Foy actually just just um outside St Austell and they do a pantomime every year so I do go down and I help that so I keep my toes in you know I dip a little bit I wanted to ask, because you had mentioned about your daughter, Edie, who's the restaurant named after, was 14 at the time that you moved from Birmingham. And yeah. I know she'd been to Australia, but I presume she was quite young then. And Yeah, yeah, she but was. For, yeah. At 14, to be moved from your where all your friends are, I just wondered mm-hmm. how, how that had gone, <laughs> gone <laughs> with her and how keen she was. It wasn't. There was yeah. no keenness. Um, yeah. No, no, she she did not want to do it at all. It was awful, actually. Mm. She she didn't want to come. She was 14. She was hormonal. I, re- I remember the very first week we came down, we decided that we, we were going to buy it. We'd sold up. And the very first day we came here, we, we stood on the beach and I looked at Edie and I went, oh my gosh, look how wonderful and glorious it is. And Edie just went, I hate you! And screamed, uh, stamped yeah. her feet. Yeah, just and and it was heartbreaking actually because I thought, oh God, this is you know, she hasn't even started school yet, and yeah, she had to go into school halfway through year ten, which is Ooh. the worst time to put a kid <laughs> into school. <laughs> she didn't, she didn't enjoy. I'm not, you know, school here in Cornwall, she didn't enjoy, right. um, which is a shame. But then she discovered deep sea diving, and wow. yeah. I mean, you wouldn't be able to do that. You can't, exactly. You can't you know? do that in a swimming pool. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and now she, she goes to Falmouth Marine School. She's studying to be a marine biologist. Wow. She's got a great group of friends. She's loving life. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing because if you hadn't moved, have you ever asked her what, what does she think she would be doing? 
if yeah, she had no I've not asked her that actually that I, I that's a really interesting question because diving would never have even it wouldn't have even been an option for her you know yeah. and 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 now her, you know her her thoughts on life is that she wants to uh, do marine conservation she wants to travel she'll be able to dive you know she wants to go to Australia and yeah. Uh, yeah. wherever she can dive all around the world really I mean that that's what her plan is um you know saving turtles saving seals yeah. you know uh but yeah in Birmingham or wherever we live because I, I she moved around a lot actually no it wouldn't have, wouldn't amazing. have even been an option no because so it probably it's, wouldn't it's, have crossed her mind would it I mean to, no. to think yeah the opportunities wouldn't have arisen would they yeah. and it's that thing of when you look back at your life and then you can see how everything's linked up to get you to the point that you're at but when you're in it yeah. you can't see how it's all piecing together. It's only when you turn and look backwards and the fact that it's, yeah, changed her life so dramatically and she's on yeah. this very exciting path is is wonderful. It's, that's so lovely to think she went from that point of standing on a beach screaming, I hate you, to yeah. that the, her whole life is now about the sea. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I said to her, I did actually say to her the other day, we went, we went home to Birmingham. She had her 18th birthday up in Birmingham because she's still got you know obviously our family are up there although my parents have now moved to Cornwall which is lovely I did say to her the other day after her 18th birthday and we had the, you know an amazing three days up at home and I said you know if you had the choice where would you live because you could go and live in Birmingham now you're 18 would you do that or are you happy in Cornwall and she did say and this really warmed my heart she just went I would never move away from Cornwall because Cornwall now is her home so oh. she'll go traveling and she'll do what she needs to do but Whereas for me, Birmingham was always, wherever I travelled in the world, which I did a lot of, I always went home to Birmingham. But yeah. what's so lovely for Edie now is that she sees Cornwall as home. So yeah, that's lovely. That so happy. you can't, you can't yeah. leave there now then, can you? Because that's No. <laughs> and what about you, Kelly? When you, were, when you were 13, what did you imagine that you'd be doing aged? Oh gosh, when I was 13, <laughs> I thought I'd be a famous Hollywood starlet, I thought. Yeah, but, um, yeah. I certainly didn't think I'd own a restaurant, not in a million billion years. I guess I thought I'd always do something with performing because I, I didn't have anything else to do really. I mean, that was it. That was my life. Yeah, so. I suppose you are, you know, as a, as a, um, well, what, are you manager? How do you, what's your title in, in terms of? <laughs> Dog's body, more like. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we, I've got a manager who runs a restaurant, but I oversee absolutely everything, you know. Yeah. But I still work here. I still put an apron on and I still work tables. Yes. Um, but I think linking it back to performing, the, the girls take the mickey out of me actually here because I can change accents at tables. I don't know that, <laughs> right? But there'll be like one table where I'm like, oh, snarf, 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 oh, la, la, oh, la, check out the wine. It's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> and then I'll go to another table and I'm like, oh, all right, Bab, how are you doing? Yeah. Oh, my God, it's so great that you've come back. And I just completely change from table to table to table, which is, you know, it's like a performance, yes, isn't it? Yeah, Not the really comedian. Sort of, the, oh, my God, I love that. And constant the improvisation. <laughs> I love it. improv. Yeah, yeah but improv. you're constantly you're constantly performing. And yeah. the other thing is, if you're not in the mood for that, you know, it, it can be really difficult because also we, we're a tiny little restaurant. I'm sat in it now, by the way. So that's no, it's, sort it's of, yeah, like that's where I am. And um, it only takes one person to be slightly moody who works here or not in the mood for it. And it can actually change the atmosphere. 
Yeah. So it's so important. If people aren't happy, it's time to move on. Absolutely. Because you've, you know, what I love most about this place is that people always talk about how happy we are in here. And sometimes it is a performance. So sometimes we are performing it, you know, yeah. you come in and you've got to put your, no matter what's happened to you outside of the restaurant, you can't bring that into it. Mm. Because then, you know, if you're, if you're eating in there and your waitress comes up to you and they're like, oh, you're right. Yeah, whatever. Do what yes. you want. Just doesn't work. I, I always remember working for TGI Fridays and they had all these ridiculous things. Put the cloak over you. And once you've got your cloak on, you've gone into the restaurant. And you, But actually, they're kind of right, you know. Bad service anywhere or moody people when you go into a shop or a oh, restaurant. It does completely ruin the experience. You, you, you can serve the most amazing food, yeah. you know. But if the service doesn't go along with the food, then suddenly the food doesn't taste as good as it should. Yeah. yeah, completely. Well, I definitely want to visit Edie's Kitchen immediately. It's <laughs> so nice to talk to you. Your story is so wonderful and joyful and kind of progressive. And it sounds like you do a lot for the people around you. The impact that your restaurant will have on the community and yeah. the, the positive impact. And I love Edie's story. That's just got me. The yeah. fact that she's a marine. I can't, I can't get over that. I think that's yeah, just it's so gorgeous, fantastic. isn't it? It's yeah. wonderful. It's so, so wonderful. And thank you for taking time out of your busy day. To, oh um, my gosh, it's been a pleasure. It's been lovely. I, <laughs> I, I don't stop talking though. That's my only problem. I never shut uh, up. Oh <laughs> uh, no, it's brilliant. Tell everyone again, Edie's place is in? Edie's Kitchen is in Carline Bay in St. Austell in Cornwall. It's glorious. Yeah. I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I really can't. I probably remember Dawn French interested me her and her saying, I shouldn't really tell people this because I don't want people to too many people to go there. Oh, I know. I <laughs> love, I get love a table. her for that. Yeah. I know. She said we, we were her secret and she didn't want to give it up. But <laughs> yeah. thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It's honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. You know that phrase, it's not the winning, it's the taking part that counts. Twaddle. My thoughts exactly. So this season, we thought we'd spice up your lives with a bit of a competition. Booyakasha! There's an actual trophy up for grabs. Boom! How do we win? Well, each week, we're going to ask a question on the social medias. The best responses will be read out in the following week's episode. And the writer of the very best audience story of the whole season will win the trophy. Oh, I'd better get writing. No, no. Esther, you can't enter. What? That's absolute bull... This week on the social meds, as I like to call it rather stupidly, um, we asked the question, if you could start again, what would you change, if anything, about your life? So it got some people thinking. It did. Got them amusing over their life decisions. And we start with Mary Elizabeth, who said, I would try to learn to let things go a little earlier in my life. I think that's such a good piece of advice. I'm not always very good at letting things go. I'm better as I get older, but oh, I can I can stew on stuff. <laughs> well, I still rem- I still have things that bug me that happened to me in my early 20s. Yeah. In my oh, teens yeah. even. It's like, come on, get over it. <laughs> I know. Any, do you know what? Any form of injustice, yes, I can, yes. I can get, I get really rattled about what I feel are injustices, whether that be globally or to me. Well, I've still got images of you know cars overtaking me and me getting irate, giving them the finger. <laughs> and this is like six, seven years ago. I can still remember exactly what vehicle it was. Usually yeah. a white van. And um, 
And uh, yeah, I get very, very cross. I'm surprised <laughs> I haven't got into any road rage incidents, to be honest. Well, there's still plenty of time. Still time. Still plenty. Something to look still forward time. to, isn't there? <laughs> yes, always something to look forward to. New life experiences. <laughs> oh dear. No, I need to just remember my mindfulness. Um, so on, on Twitter, we've got Neil Hopkins a.k.a. Thermal Satsuma. Hello, Neil. Oh, your favourite handle. My favourite handle. Neil said, If I could, I'd go back and start learning Lado in my 20s when my knees were not so creaky. What's Lado? Well, I had to look it up. And it is... Um, it's abbreviated to Lay. So it's spelt L-A-I-D-O. And it's a Japanese yeah. martial art that emphasises being aware and capable of quickly drawing the sword and responding to sudden attacks. You'll need that with your road rage incidents, won't yes, you? Yes, I should take it up and keep a sword in the boot. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get some lessons from Neil. Um, so yes. obviously we had to look that up. Um, but Neil <laughs> said uh, he's OK if he's got mats to kneel on, but the hall he trains in now has a wooden floor, which is a bit more taxing. And he said the sword is sharp. Oh, you don't want to use it to get up off the floor with. No. You'll end up stuck in the no. ground. I know about my house is wooden floors throughout, and I know about kneeling on a wooden floor, and it's not fun. <laughs> so especially when you don't, you know, get up from a, for a sudden attack from your twelve-year-old yes. son. Oh or yes, 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 absolutely. Uh, Joe on Twitter says, "Saying I do twice, as in two ex hubbies, not as in stuttering." <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, I think stutter would be better. Um, so she, she wants to go back and not say "I do twice." I'm guessing so. Yeah. Yes, not not to those people anyway, not to those men. <laughs> Yeah, have ten more, but not them. Yeah, not those ones. Yeah, no. good, good plan. Um, so Stuart on Twitter said, I would make sure I had a story so wonderful that I could win an LTO trophy. Oh, There's still time, Stuart. There's there still, is still time. So much time. We need, to do some, we need to do some more badge competitions, don't we? And get those badges out. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you can have a badge, Stuart. Yeah, we might let you have one of them. Um, Dracos, Dracos, Rybeard? I mean... Very interesting parents. I do know his real name. Okay. But I'm not going to reveal it in case he doesn't want me to. Paul McCartney. <laughs> no DNA, it says. And I don't know what no DNA... Is that drugs and alcohol? Well, I think it might be drugs... And yeah, alcohol. I think it might be drugs and alcohol. So I think that's what I would change if I could go back to Saturday night. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Was it quite heavy? <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> not that bad. Elizabeth Stafford said, I wouldn't change anything because then it wouldn't be me. Oh, yes, Liz. But then she said, oh, no, wait, I would eat fewer cakes, then I would still be me, but thin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Liz, I'm sure you're absolutely lovely. Well, I know you're absolutely lovely. Okay, so Lucy Brown said she would probably listen to her parents' advice more. Oh. She said, just don't tell them that. That was quite interesting. That is interesting, isn't it? I'd like to know which bits of advice. Yes. Was you were you really rebellious, Lucy, and just everything they said you did the opposite? I'd be mm. so interested to know what yeah, what the advice would be and what it was that you wish you'd listened don't, to. Don't don't join that pyramid scheme, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> don't send <laughs> the money to the man in Ghana. <laughs> did you ever get one of those emails oh, God, saying yeah. 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 Totally. I did send money. What was I not meant to? Uh, well, I mean, it might explain why you... Why I'm destitute. Um, <laughs> Eleanor Mean says, I'd give fewer shits and uh, probably take better care of myself. She said that. Yes, one. Eleanor. Well, Eleanor actually said that she would probably listen to her parents' advice less. Oh, really? <laughs> so, there you go. It's, it's very difficult to look back and say, what would you 
what would you change? Because actually, if you change one little thing, this is why time travel, you know, the going back in time is so fascinating, isn't it? If you change yeah. one little moment, that would change so many. Butterfly effects. Yeah, like Back to the Future. <laughs> that film, I mean... I would like the superpower of being able to time travel and go back in time, but you have you'd have to be careful, wouldn't you? You couldn't get involved in kind oh of a God. battle, yeah. Or you'd just change the course of history with one. Exactly, and like Elizabeth Stafford said, somebody did ask me this the other day: Do you wish so this and this had happened? And I was like, No, because I wouldn't be where I am now. And and who's to say that would be better? Um, yeah, you, it's, it gets you to the point you're at now. And if and even if you had made a different choice. It's it, it could have been way worse mm. than where you are now. Yeah, so it's very hard. Mark said, I would address my relationship with food and educate myself on it way earlier. As it appears, 40 years of habit is quite hard to change. Yeah, mm. it is, isn't it? And also, I think we're we're all so much more aware now of how diet impacts us and yeah. the gut health and all that kind of thing. Whereas, and that's only been in the last five or 10 years. Whereas yeah. in the 80s, it was, you know, have a microwave meal and that's when that all kicked in, wasn't it? And yeah. so... Well, because the thing is, we're the product... We're not just the product of our decisions. No. We're the product of our the culture we live in, the country we live in, other people's yeah. decisions. Yeah. Um. So it's 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 kind of mind-boggling to think like that. But I suppose if you could just wave a magic wand and just change yeah. one thing. Um, I don't know. I think I would just have, have lots more energy. I would just... I would like to be able to imbue myself with like 10 million times more energy. Would you? Um, yes. Today, anyway. <laughs> uh, do you know, I'd like my energy to be more balanced because I, I, have two, I have two levels. I either feel like my foot is on the accelerator of my body and is just being flawed constantly and I have mm. so much energy I don't know what to do with it and I'm a bit nuts. Or I literally can't get off the sofa. There's not a lot in between and so I'd yeah. like mine to be more balanced. Thank you so much for your social media thoughts this week. All goes into the trophy pot. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's comfortable. It certainly is. You'll want that on your shelves. It is. We'll put a photograph out. Yeah, so that you can see it. But uh, yeah, thank you for all your responses this week, guys. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to... Limited Time Only. If you've enjoyed this episode, then why don't you share it with someone you think would enjoy it too? Please like, follow or subscribe so we can pop into your ears on a regular basis. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. Your glowing reviews will help to shape future episodes and help other people to find us. You can join the Limited Time Only conversation on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can email us hello at limitedtimeonlypodcast.com. We'll be back for more next time. But, but for, for now, now, we are not alone. There's absolutely billions of us. <laughs> <laughs>